Welcome to the How Institute for Societies podcast, How Conversations, where we talk with courageous and authentic leaders about how we can build and nurture a culture of moral leadership throughout society. What does it mean to be a moral leader today? Who has moral authority in our society? What should we expect of our leaders during a crisis? And what are the moral leadership frameworks our leaders are using to navigate through these challenging times? These are just some of the nuanced questions our hosts cover in their discussions with CEOs, military generals, educators, philanthropists, and other leaders about the importance of moral and ethical decision-making. And now, here's the Howe Institute for Society founder and executive chairman and the host for today's podcast, Dove Seidman. Hello, I'm Dove Seidman, and for this installment of the How Conversations podcast, I speak with Darren Walker, the president of the Ford Foundation, a global social justice philanthropy. Under Darren's leadership, the Ford Foundation became the first nonprofit in U.S. history to issue a $1 billion social bond. The proceeds were used to strengthen and stabilize nonprofit organizations in the wake of COVID-19, precisely when these organizations needed it most. I'm honored that Darren is also a board member of the Howe Institute, as he embodies through his work the kind of leadership we so need in this world. In our conversation, Darren shares his insights on the urgent need for moral leadership and the importance of working to create shared truths and to build more trust in society. Welcome, Darren, and thank you for being with us. Thank you, Dub. Looking forward to this. So uh, why don't we start, you, you and I speak often about the pause and to echo Ralph Waldo Emerson, it's in the pause uh, as people, as humans, as leaders that we hear the call. Uh, a lot's been going on in the world. There's a combustion of simultaneous crises, humanitarian crises, health crises, unemployment crises, racial injustice crises, they're all coming together. You have uh, profound leadership responsibilities, but I know that in the midst of it all, you do find time to pause. Where are you? How have you been? I'm finding you in what state of mind right now, Darren? I am in a state of mind of feeling very privileged. I think the reality, Dove, is that for most of us who uh, are fortunate enough to lead organizations um, to have some semblance of economic security, uh, we're all doing fine. Um, our problems, while they may be problems um, or obstacles in our everyday life, are minor, are uh, insignificant in the total scheme of things when we look at the problems of the world and the conditions that most people in our country uh, are having to cope with. Uh, people like you and me have absolutely nothing to complain about. You've also said because of this privilege and the insulation that we enjoy, there's an opportunity, if not an obligation, to pause and, and redesign some of our lives and, and come out on the other side with a more clear sense of how we can make a more positive difference. Take us into your pause. What are you reimagining? What are you redesigning or recommitting to in this time? Well, I have decided that, you know, time and space 
is now organized through the prism of uh, before COVID and in a post-COVID world. What will uh, this new PC world be? And I think what I'm hoping is that, uh, one, we, we realize first that the BC world is over. We are never going back to January of 2020. We are never going to live in that world again. That doesn't mean that our future will be dystopian, that we are uh, headed for some uh, apocalypse. It does mean, however, that we as leaders are going to have to rethink what leadership means, uh, how we engage in the world, and the skills and tools and capabilities that we will need to successfully lead. And I believe that is going to present uh, some tremendous challenges for leadership because there's never been a time when it is more difficult uh, and sometimes uh, onerous to lead because the systems within which we manage and lead are increasingly complex uh, and demand of us more of our time, it seems, um, and are increasingly stressful. Stressful because of the velocity, the intensity of social media and technology, which uh, if you are a leader, even in a decentralized organization, places tremendous pressure on you to respond, to stay ahead of, um, and it just adds stress. Um, so one of the things that I think we leaders are gonna have to do in this uh, PC world is learn how to deal with stress. And also have the empathy to understand that everybody else is, is trying to and struggling with stress. So, so there's a premium on, on empathy and trying to really internalize the stress everybody else must be feeling. This goes back to where you started and when we began this conversation that everything that we are experiencing, we have to put into context. In order to put things into context as a leader, we need to possess the ability to contextualize. Yeah. That ability comes from, in part, empathy, compassion, a sense of humility, curiosity, and grace. Um, these are not necessarily uh, the skill set uh, of leaders in uh, a BC world, but in a PC world, uh, it, it won't be an option. It's mandatory. And these, these elevated qualities and, of character and, and human capacities weren't always thought of as strengths in the uh, BC world. But I think you're saying that in the PC world, they're not only strengths, they're essential leadership, leadership skills and attributes to be able to lead. And Darren, since you talked about putting things in context and you've gone right to the topic of leadership, every year as president of the Ford Foundation, you write a letter where you're trying to explicitly frame the context in which the Ford Foundation uh, aspires to make an impact. And last year, you dedicated your entire uh, annual letter to the topic of leadership. You actually titled it The Imperative of Moral Leadership. And you say moral leadership 
of all kinds in every movement and institution, organization and community is a prerequisite of positive change. Speak a bit about some of the forces that you think are operating in the world and why they call for the leadership that you're describing, this imperative of moral leadership. It's very challenging. Uh, the reality is you and I are capitalists. Uh, we believe that the best way to organize an economic system is through the mechanism of capitalism. The reality of this moment, this time we're living in, is that there is tremendous profit to be realized yeah. in fomenting division. There is tremendous money to be made in the business of hate. Yeah. And therefore, in a capitalist system, this intersection, the collision of democracy, morality, and capitalism, will capitalism win? I think without moral leadership, it is hard to imagine how the simply incentive structure of our system right. won't ensure no. that we lose. We lose our moral standing in the world. We lose our ability to, uh, within our own country, to really be the voices uh, that are needed at this time because the incentives, whether it these are the incentives in the political system or the incentives in the economic system are propelling us to more division. They are rewarding those who would seek to divide. And so for those of us who believe that this really untenable dynamic of, of this binary construct of everything being black or white, like or dislike. Um, if we don't intervene, uh, I, I fear for our country, I fear for our nation. Um, so to me, I'm, I think, you know, we're, at, we're, at the, we're on a precipice in this country. In many ways, just to echo back what I hear you say, I mean, I think you and I have talked about for you've mentioned capitalism for dynamic capitalism to flourish and be sustainable for vibrant democracy for healthy strong communities and societies the, they all have to rest on the twin pillars of shared truth and trust and right now both uh truths are being assaulted and it's getting harder to share in them and i'm not just talking about reality does a mask work or does a mask not work in terms as fighting against the corona, uh, coronavirus, but deep moral truths around equality and justice. Can we share in a conception of those? And if we can't share truths, then uh, trust is eroded. So I think in many ways what you're saying is there's an imperative of moral leadership because moral leaders are purveyors. Uh, they trust people with the truth and they create virtuous cycles of more trust because we're starting in shared truth. Dub, I believe moral leaders see themselves as part of something bigger yeah. than themselves. And I think that kind of thinking um, 
is inconsistent with, with the thinking of many leaders in this country today. I have seen leaders who say, you know, it's about the individual. It's right. about me and my leadership, my responsibility, my freedom. So we, we hear words that have great currency in contemporary culture. What we don't hear leaders talking about are community, our collective responsibilities to each other, service. And so I think part of it is we, we have to admit that, at least in my view, the cult of the individual crowds out the space for moral leadership, right. because I believe that we're, we're, we are a little too self-centered. In your, in your letter, and uh, to this point, and I'd like to quote you, we are, as Lincoln suggested at Gettysburg, facing a great test, but with moral leadership can and will pass it. With moral leadership, this can and will be a moment in Lincoln's words, for a new birth of freedom, an opportunity to rebuild and be more perfect. And, and what's interesting is there's freedom from authority, from a micromanaging boss. You know, we, we know how to get freedom from. We cast off authorities and, and all the powers that, you know, hold us down and subjugate us. But the freedom in our constitution is not freedom from, it's freedom to pursue happiness. It's a freedom to be yourself. Uh, to speak your mind, to pursue whatever religion and faith uh, is in your heart. And we know that freedom from is created structurally, but freedom too is enabled uh, through community of shared truths, through uh, proper governance, through moral leadership. So is this really a time, therefore, to be on a journey of moral leadership that uh, emphasizes and elevates all the ways in which we're in things together and all that we have in common? Well, I think it is true. And I think in a multiracial, pluralistic society like the United States, this idea of we are all in this together is fraying. It's fraying because even in the midst of this pandemic, there are many people who say, well, yes, this pandemic is uh, affecting uh, our nation. But most of the people per capita who are dying are black and brown. Mm -hmm. And so this really isn't affecting me. So I should be able to just go on about my business because the people who are really being harmed by this aren't people like me. Right. And I think that kind of thinking is in some ways part of the challenge of building the collective spirit that we need and that and moral leaders have to be able to speak to this question of interdependency that some will say well but that doesn't relate to me or that isn't as important for me uh, or it's going to be harmful for those people those other people but it's not really that harmful for me how do we talk to our citizens our workers when that kind of thinking is the backdrop right. for many of the challenges that we face as a society. Well, if you live in Chicago, yes, there is a huge problem with shootings. But if you live on the North Shore of Chicago, 
you could live and not have any idea that in the same city, dozens of people are shot in a given week. And so the rules that might apply on the South side, really, they don't need to apply to us on the North side because we're in a different world. And so how do, how do we lead in those contexts? You know, how do we lead a workforce when we have thousands of workers, the workers who are African-American, when you listen to their stories about policing, see a completely different experience than the workers who are white when they share their stories about policing, which are primarily positive. Right. How do you manage a workforce to come together when that workforce has such divergent experiences based on their race. I think moral leadership says we have to understand that we all believe that every person should have dignity and that no one should feel treated differently. And when, when that happens, it happens to all of us. This was Dr. King's message. Did you know that 86% of employees believe there is an urgent need for moral leadership in the workplace? And 77% of employees believe that moral leadership can be learned. The Howe Institute is proud to offer the NextGen Fellowship for Moral Leadership, designed to help emerging leaders also be moral leaders. Learn how your organization can join the fellowship by visiting our website, thehowinstitute.org. So I think we're talking about who occupies positions of formal authority at a time where more people are looking for those in charge. They're looking to governors and mayors of blue and red states to transcend political differences and show us that they can connect and collaborate and coordinate uh, to put people above uh, politics. And they're looking for CEOs to put people above profits now more than ever in that way. And I think it's why, for example, there's been so much appreciation for Dr. Fauci and many of the public health leaders who have guided us during this pandemic. I find that the credibility they have with the public based on all polls is higher than any other category of leaders in this pandemic. And, and that says something because they are speaking from the perspective of truth and facts, but there is a moral dimension to that. The moral dimension to that is that through bringing the evidence forward, people will make the right decisions and, and those leaders will, will be listened to. What's also interesting is that these leaders often say that they don't know things. It's a feature of moral leadership, where, as we've discussed, this yeah. idea of humility, yeah. of vulnerability, uh, of uncertainty sometimes, and of being comfortable in that space. There are many leaders who feel that they must have all the answers, that they must stand at the top of the hill and lead the troops forward. But people actually want to be led by people who are authentic. And part of authenticity is vulnerability. Because if you are a human being, you actually don't have all the, the answers. 
Um, and I think that curiosity is very important. Indeed. And, and there's another dimension of moral leaders. Moral leaders recognize as they look through the world through a moral lens, they see dilemmas. They sometimes see two bad choices. They see that the tension right now between saving lives and livelihoods really feels uh, uh, an inexorable pull in opposite directions. And moral leaders are honest about, we need to choose nonetheless, but both choices are painful. And, and there's another dimension of moral leaders. Moral leaders recognize as they look through the world through a moral lens, they see dilemmas. They sometimes see two bad choices. They see that the tension right now between saving lives and livelihoods really feels uh, uh, an inexorable pull in opposite directions. And moral leaders are honest about, we need to choose nonetheless, but both choices are painful. Darren, what's your experience? Because you've written and talked about nuance in a binary world, in a world of follow, unfollow, like, unlike. How do you enlist people in a journey uh, where the path ahead is gray and full of nuance? Well, Dove, let's start with the fact that I lead a foundation endowed by Henry Ford, a notorious anti-Semite who in his lifetime did harm to Jewish people by spreading all sorts of tropes and inaccuracies and outright falsehoods. He also was a genius who transformed American capitalism. And in the process was the first industrialist to name inequality as a problem and ensure that his workers were paid a wage that dignified their work and that allowed them to indeed buy the very products that they were making on the assembly line. I am able to hold both of those narratives And that requires nuance. I think we must be able to hold the narratives, the dualities of the complexity of a man like Henry Ford. That doesn't mean that we need to put a statue up tomorrow of Henry Ford, but it does mean that we have to recognize that he played an indelible role in building this nation and that he created a philanthropy that has done much good in the world and examine what it is doing to balance right. some of the things Henry Ford did. I think it's, it's fair to say, you know, there's a lot that we're doing today that Henry Ford would never have imagined, right. beginning with the fact that a black gay man is the president of the foundation that bears his name. Right. What, what gives you hope? Because more what gives me hope? Sure. What, what gives me hope? Yes. Sure. Talk about hope. What gives me hope is seeing the young people in the streets of this country earlier this year joined hand in hand with older people, multiracial, multigenerational, across America, indeed across the world, from Boise, Idaho to Staten Island, uh, all coming together, uh, asking, demanding a country, a world of more fairness, of more justice, of less inequality, of less injustice. That's what gives me hope. And I uh, am a firm believer, uh, as we at the Ford Foundation like to say, we are in the business of hope. And hope is 
the oxygen of democracy. And, and Darren, I, and, and one more thing you've done recently, moral leaders also have the courage to ask the right questions. And you're a leader in a philanthropic context and often in philanthropy, people ask this question, uh, what, who should we give to and what we should give back? And you really had the courage to emphatically say, let's not ask what we should give back, but yeah. let's ask what we should give up. Right. And when somebody like you asks a question, what should we give up? That's a source of hope because if people start giving up things, they create the room and the space for others to get to where they have gotten. So that's a source of hope when leaders ask profoundly the right questions. And it's fair to say you've gotten quite a response to asking that question, right? I have, and, and that is one of the reasons I have hope. But Dove, in closing, I have hope because of leaders like you and the work that you're doing at the Howe Institute, which I am delighted and greatly honored to be a part of. So thank you for having me today. Darren, it's a genuine pleasure and that, you, that we are in common cause and that you are a founding uh, board member of the Howe Institute for Society uh, is a source of, of meaning and for me hope. And, and thank you, Darren, for elevating the conversation and enriching and enlightening uh, so many. Thank you, Doug. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Darren Walker. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our partners, Levi Strauss & Company, MasterCard, and the Ford Foundation. If you like conversations like this one, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing them. It would mean a lot to us. The Howe Institute for Society seeks to build and nurture a culture of moral leadership, principled decision-making, and values-based behavior to elevate humanity. To learn more about our work, please visit our website, thehowinstitute.org, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at The Howe Institute.